Hello everybody and welcome back to Just the Fitness Tip with Michael Ujoa and Jason Ald, Edinburgh's number one fitness podcast and what an episode we have lined up for you today. Today we were joined by the brilliant Phil Lurney. Yeah, Phil Lurney, a guy I did a, a bit of research on uh, because uh, it was really, it was Mitch's kind of boyhood hero um, and that's why we had him on. But really interesting guy. Um, I think the the tippers are really going to enjoy the bit where Phil starts to psychoanalyze both of us. <laughs> yeah, he um, he's in my favorite quotes from him are, um, "Michael, you're quiet," which is probably <laughs> not good for a personal trainer. <laughs> and Jason, you'll probably never be a Joe Wicks. So if you want both of those quotes in context. <laughs> You can have to listen to the whole show. It's a good one. It's an extra long one, if you know what I mean. Uh, and that's all, all thanks to Phil. <laughs> Honestly, it was such a great chat. I really enjoyed today's episode. Um, as always, these episodes are sponsored by Grams Edinburgh. Uh, Grams Edinburgh have given us a discount code for their meal prep. If you type in just the tip into the checkout, you will get 20% off your first order of meal prep. So head over to gramsedinburgh.com or their Instagram page at gramsedinburgh and check them out. Guys, we hope you enjoy the episode. Here goes. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 75 of Just the Fitness Tip with Michael Ujoa and Jason Ald, Edinburgh's number one fitness podcast. And today we are very excited to be joined by uh, Phil Lurney. Uh, so, Phil, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. So when I was uh, speaking to my clients about this interview that we're doing today, um, most people in the industry have heard of you. Uh, there's a few people that might not have. Uh, and they were kind of asking me, clients, especially kind of what you do. And it's quite difficult to kind of describe what your <laughs> role is, if I'm honest. I mean, you're kind of the guy that coaches successful coaches is probably the best way best way to put that. But you've got a lot of strings to your, bro, your bow. You used to be a personal trainer yourself as well. So um, for anyone who's kind of been living under a rock in the fitness industry, can you just explain kind of who you are and what you do? Right. Uh, I was 20, 20 years personal trainer. So I was around when uh, long before social media and uh, the internet and blah, blah. Well, the internet was around. It just wasn't very, very good. Uh, I was back in the days of Carter and things like this. So, so for, for those of you old enough, you'll, you'll remember that. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, tw personal trainer for 20 years, uh, worked my way through various sort of uh, businesses, set up some gyms, uh, managed some gyms, uh, did all the kind of bits and pieces around what a personal trainer would do, taught classes, you know, these sort of things earlier on in my career. Then went exclusively kind of towards personal training, uh, did that for a long time. And then on my tw pretty much my 20th anniversary, decided to retire from personal training. At that point, I'd been running an educational business for about five years, uh, which was the Advanced Coaching Academy, which was all about teaching coaches, uh, in a nutshell, really, teaching them about my experience in the industry and, and teaching them not to make the mistakes I made uh, and to try and filter some of the, the, the edu educational resources, and bring it all under one umbrella. So it was, it was all about teaching them about nutrition, how to run successful businesses and, and ethical and moral businesses and, and also how to improve their services as a coach. So, so we focused a lot and, and, and still do on the general population the people that most personal trainers and coaches are dealing with. Uh, there, there seems to be this thing where coaches resonate towards sort of elitism, 
Uh, they like to know what elite athletes do. They like to know what bodybuilders do. They like to know what what the extremes are, but also which is the you know the really fun stuff. And then and then we've also then got to draw it back to how do we deal with you know general people, people who have full time jobs, who have families, who have other commitments outside of the gym and outside of fitness and meal prep and blah blah blah. So so it was bringing it all back to that and and, and assisting coaches in operating their business. And then obviously we've got a few arms to the business. Uh, we produce assets and material for other businesses so they can then supply them to their clients as part of their service or they can use them as uh, financial streams or revenue streams and what have you. And then on a personal level, I do uh, I do quite a bit of consultancy with, you know, gym chains. I've done quite a lot of work with, uh, you know, a couple of the bigger, uh, bigger gym chains out there, Pure Gym, Virgin, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And on a one-to-one level as well, so we still do seminars when we can. Obviously, we haven't done one for a while, but uh, we do a lot of education in the industry. So, so that's that's the primary thing that, that, that I do within this industry, anyways. Now, Phil, thank you for giving up your time. Really appreciate it. And You're first of all, I've got to say props for all the uh, the Hulk merch in the back. Spotted that. There's all manner of things up there. Brilliant, if, you brilliant. Another, if you go another tier, there's there's even more, which I'll, I'll, I'll show you guys after we're on. Oh, tier, you're, yeah. you're putting my little cupboard to shame. I'm going to be honest. With you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's not a it's not a cupboard. It's a sound booth. A thank sound you. Booth. Yes, we'll run with that. Yeah, thank you. We're in a, we're in a sound studio. Booth. Studio. Studio. Okay. Um, studio. There you go. When I was doing uh, my research on you, I was quite interested about how you got started. Um, I always kind of. Uh, I don't want to say reminisce because it sounds positive, but I always talk about how things were completely different when I got into the fitness industry. And um, I imagine they were, were even more different for you. But what I thought was quite interesting was um, you started off in hotels. I started off in hotels. It sounded like you had a more of a positive experience there than I did. Um, <laughs> but what I thought was quite interesting was that you started off as a graphic designer. Um, and I know you you weren't enamored with that job, but you said that kind of what motivated to get uh, motivated you to get into that position was the fact that you you were quite a creative person growing yeah. up. Um, and I think for me, like I'm involved in, in extreme sports and I think what led me to extreme sports as opposed to like team sports was that element of creativity and expression. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, obviously start off with a really difficult philosophical question, but what role do you think creativity has in the fitness industry? And do you think too many PTs consider the role to be kind of procedural and academic rather than a creative pursuit? I think you've got both strings of the bow. That's the interesting thing about the industry. Obviously, you know, I have I have this huge creative side. I mean, there's there's uh, over my this shoulder, uh, you know, there's a couple of figures that I I sculpted and did. So I I, I still sort of dabble back to to little things I used to do. I, I you know I designed uh, a lot of like the logos for various various ones of my business. Uh, I had a restaurant. I did all the logo stuff for that and and blah blah blah. So I still dabble back into it, and I, I really enjoy it. And to be honest, there's times where I probably spend too much time fiddling with things. I have mm. a team of graphic designers now that work for me, and, and and I think I irritate them sometimes because I'm trying to contribute so much to it. But I think there is a massive creative element to what we do. And I think there's also a massive analytical side to what we do. And I think that's largely the thing that actually people struggle with, Jason. It's it's the, the, the analytical and the boring things because I think a lot of the people that, and again, without getting into kind of personality types and things like this, that, the type of person in our industry 
is, is typically the sort of person that would, and, and, and again, to put it in a nutshell here, is the sort of person that will buy a brand new iPhone and, and throw the instruction manual away because, because they like to wing it. They like to take little snippets of sound bites of information, which, which resonates a lot in our, you know, our social media world, the health and fitness sector. If you look at the social media world of the health and fitness sector, people love sound bites. They love snippets of information. They find it very hard to process large amounts of content. And the people that can do that tend to be the more uh, on the, the more academic side of what we do. So they're the people that will go away and read studies, whereas, you know, part of our industry, there's this evidence-based culture that, that sort of appeared a few years ago, despite the fact that the vast majority of people in our industry have never been formally trained on how to read scientific studies. And, and without that formal training, you don't actually get the full picture. You just look at something which is a kind of breakdown or a summary of what it is, and, and you then take that to be true. Uh, rather than taking it really truly for what it is, then you need to understand the structure of the studies and blah, blah, blah. And there's, uh, there's a lot to it. So part of what we teach people is we, we teach people how to read studies and look at studies and, and understand them a little bit more because I think that's an area that, that personal trainers typically struggle with, you know, because they come from that. Uh, they like to flip between things. They're, they're, they're creative. A lot of them come from perhaps sporting backgrounds and things like this. So so they have this outlet of creativity and whether it's, you know, like in your case, you said extreme sports, whether it's extreme sports, whether it's just sports, they have this different outlet for their for their uh, for their drive and their motivation, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of the business stuff that we do is the stuff that will make a massive difference to a personal training business. But most of it for most coaches will be extremely boring. You know, most of my days now are spent on things like Excel spreadsheets, doing uh, forecasts, doing P&L, uh, you know, doing all the business stuff. But because it's creative in its own, it's in its own right, and I actually see what the outcome is. It's a bit like producing a piece of art. If the outcome of that piece of art isn't good, and you know it's not going to be good when you start, you're not really that interested in it. You know, if you were to, and again, extreme sports, right? If you were, you were thinking, right, I'm going to go and do this, but it's not actually going to be that exciting. The, the motivation to do it then then dwindles right mm. and it's you know it's it's like coaching coaching a lot of the the inspiration for coaching comes from getting results with your clients is getting your clients from that point a to point b and and if you're not good at doing that your business is going to struggle but then also if you can't add up your finances and your and your books and and balance all that out you're also going to struggle so, so for us, it, it was kind of taking all that stuff, and, and really, you've, you've you've nailed a point there. Really, is that is that we've got to take that creative element and that that kind of uh, I keep thinking wishy washy, but wishy washy is the word. It's a really dismissive, actually, to be fair. But uh, this creative aspect of what most coaches are like, and and refining that into something that's a little bit more analytical, a little bit more controlled, and a little bit more regulated, and a little bit more understanding. You know, I think a lot of coaches would really struggle if I said to them, look, we need to go through your business finances and the amount of businesses that, and, and coaches that I've consulted with. So, you know, people, you know, maybe if I came to you, Michael, and I said, look, I want to see your finances, you know, people would send back to me this Excel spreadsheet with all these estimates. And I'm like, look, you can't do that. You, you know, it's roughly this and roughly this and roughly this. Roughly this will ruin your business. You know, it will instantly, you know, we might overspend by, because a lot of business is about almost operating on the seat of your pants financially. You know, for the last however many years, I mean, 15 years probably, I would I would say that financially I've operated on a, on a, on a pinhead 
with respect to finances is that if I've got it in my business, I want to spend it on my business. So, so my personal account is never anything special, you know, because I pay myself what I need to pay my bills. But my business account is a whole different ballpark. But my business account, again, the idea isn't to keep it full and make it fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller. The idea is to take all that, what's in that business account, and move it somewhere else to work for you. So ultimately, when you're ready to pull that trigger on, on, on something, on a launch or whatever it might be, it then gives you that return. You know, and this is, this is really how business is. Yet people are, you know, they're too busy flitting that money and throwing that money around. You know, they're, they're, I remember back when I, was, when I was younger and I started as a PT, you know, the first couple of good paychecks I got, I went out and I spent it on something, bought something completely pointless that, that now I kind of wish I didn't. You know, whereas now I'm, you know, I'm more interested in if I've got it, I'm going to put it back in and make it work and do these things. And, 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 it, and it's that mentality, you know, co- coaches like to look, we come from an aesthetic sort of business, right? Coaches want to look good. They want to have the, the latest t-shirts, when they have the latest trainers, they want to have the latest, you know, iPhone and blah, blah, blah. But instead of having the most latest iPhone, which is going to cost you another 500 quid, why don't you put that 500 quid into your business? And then, and then in 10 years, you can buy as many iPhones as you want because exponential growth means that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's getting that across to coaches and going, look, don't buy the newest pair of Jordans. Put that 130 pound into advertising or promoting some aspect of your business. If you do it right, you'll get a return on that that's maybe double. And then, and then again, you buy two pairs of Jordans if you want. At that point, you don't care anymore. You don't want to buy the Jordans because you're like, oh, this works. So now yeah. what I want to do is I want to take all that and I want to put it back into back into my business because now this process and this this modality in this method that I've, I've I've acquired is working right. You know, Mate, it's so getting that across. You... Oh, sorry, Phil. Sorry, cut you off there. And it's getting that across, right? And 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 again, you know, that, that's a really good question you've asked. You know, it might okay. seem a little bit uncouth and a bit out there with respect to you know what I would normally get asked in a podcast, but it's actually nailed a large problem within the industry on its head. Yeah, I thought it was a brilliant question, Phil. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's too, it's too but, what, but what I was going to say, Mitch, I don't know if you agree with me, like kind of what you've highlighted there is that a lot of trainers I've met um, kind of think that personal training starts and stops with writing up programs. And I think in recent years, I've found that actually what you've highlighted there is you're essentially a business owner, you're an entrepreneur. And what comes with that is, you know, like learning what marketing is, learning budgeting, um, learning all these other kind of aspects. Uh, but I think a lot of trainers out there um, think if they're a good PT in the gym, that that's, that's all they need. Yeah. And, and again, this is this, this, this thing, right? Is that you've got to understand that as a PT, and I learned this, I learned this probably not too late, but I learned this probably five years, five years beyond when I should have, you know, because the penny never dropped. You know, is that is that as a coach, I was, you know, when I finished my career, I was I was one of the highest charging PTs in the in the country, you know, by quite a substantial amount. Uh, I think there was one guy in London who was charging more than me, but he was actually charging four or five times more than me. It was mad. But but I was high charging PT, but then ultimately I could only service and because we're in a service industry, I could only service so many people. So it's a bit like saying, right, we're gonna open this this hugely exclusive hotel. And, and the keys in the word, right, is that it's exclusive. It means that not everybody's going to have access to it. And the thing is with personal training is that, is that if, if you guys are personal training people, you've got to realize that you've only got a certain capacity for two things. One, service. So the better your service, the lower the capacity gets, right? 
So, so you, you've got to do more per client. So the better your service, the lower the capacity of clients or number of clients you can service goes, right? Because there's only you. So you've got a choice at that point to either expand your team to get people to help with you, which is normally external people, people who will help with the nutrition or the, the, the management, soft tissue, you know, nutrition stuff, whatever it might be. And you've either got to extend your team or you've got to realize that you're the only person, which means your exclusivity lies with the fact that you've only got so many hours in a week and you've got to increase your prices. Now, there's a point there where your market, so in Edinburgh, I would only be able to charge so much before I almost outprice myself out the market, irrespective of how good I am. But And that might not be quite as high as where I, I finished my career in Mayfair, you know, and, and, you know, probably not the most affluent area of London anymore, but, but, but it has been up there. You know, yeah, and, top and, spot on the monopoly is, board. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is anymore, is it? I don't think <laughs> Mayfair actually in a while. Is. Yeah, I've not played I it in a while. Park Lane and Mayfair, which which was basically I was based off Park Lane mm-hmm. in Mayfair, so it's the same kind of same area, really. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's then all of a sudden you're like, well, I can only, I can only do so many clients a week, which means that if I take the number of clients I can see a week, multiply that by what I'm charging, that's it, I'm done. It's a bit like you know the the appeal of becoming a GP nowadays is that when I was when I was a kid getting a job as a doctor was like a major thing, but but ultimately a doctor has a salary, which they're not allowed to do work outside of that, which means their salary is fixed, which means they've got no other way of of making money unless they invest that salary. So what they make on a yearly basis on things like property or whatever it might be, something that's going to give them yield and give them a return. So if they're smart with the money, great. If not, ultimately they're in a hundred thousand pound a year job, which which there's millions of people in hundred thousand pound jobs. You know, it's it's not actually that big a mantle nowadays. You know, to have a six figure sum as your income. You know, why so do you think? Sorry to interrupt, Phil. Why do you feel like so many coaches um, they are quite bad at managing finances or, or kind of quite grasping that? quite late you said that you kind of realized it quite late on in your career do you think that it's a failure from like an educational standpoint from the way that pt courses teach trainers do you think it's maybe the influence of social media do you think it's because it's quite a low grade entry point to start personal training like where do you feel the issues are there i think you've got a bit of both and then then you've got loads of overlying factors i mean i had a discussion on social media the other day about somebody somebody said i don't do sales there was this whole debate about sales i said everybody does sales I said, you know, I'm not a great salesperson, so therefore I don't do it in a conventional manner. You know, one of my first jobs was, well, not one of my first jobs. It was actually multiple jobs down the line, but it was a long time ago. And and it involved sales. And I, I, I knew full well that I, I, I wasn't good at sales. I, I wasn't good at even telling my clients how much I charged. I used to suck at. I used to get all nervous and clammy. And, and I was like, then it's coming to the end of the consultation. Now I've got to tell them how much I charge. And it was like this whole... So all of a sudden, my tone changed. I'm like, uh, and I'm 30 pounds an hour. And this was back when you know, I charged, you know, it was, it was next to nothing, you know, for PT. Whereas, you know, later on in my career, I'd be like, you know, I'm, I charge 200 pounds an hour. That's that's my fee. You know, if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. You're out of my demographic. That means there's there's other people that are waiting. And, you know, I always had a waiting list. Uh, who will step into that that those shoes if you're not willing to do it? And I can't get personal about that. I want to help as many people as I can. So inadvertently, the way I helped 
other people was to help coaches. So if I help coaches with their business, they help more people and, and that cascade continues. So for me, the problem was if I leave the industry, I'm no longer helping people with the thing that I intended helping people with in the first place. So I've got to do it in a secondary manner. How do I help? So if I help coaches, I can help more people. <clears throat> Maybe not directly, but indirectly I am. You know, I'll never see those results and I'll never see what they're doing, but I'll speak to somebody like you, Michael, and go, right, you know, uh, you know, how's your business doing? And we had a little conversation just at the start there, and you said, look, some of the stuff that you've created and produced for us have helped our business. Brilliant. That's all I want. Is that you're serving your, servicing your clients better. You're probably making a better living out of it. They're probably getting better results out of it. Everybody's happy, you know, and ultimately along that chain, I'm making revenue from you. You're making revenue from me. Your clients are getting results from you. Therefore, they've now got a really good investment. And, and that cascade just carries on. The next phase of personal trainers come up and they look at you and they go, I want to aspire to deliver a service like Michael does and like Jason does. You know, and, and slowly over time, our our industry slowly approve, you know, improves. And, 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 and now we get a lot more respect than we used to. And, you know, and I think that there is that look of, of, of you know, personal training. What is it? And it's way more than it used to be. It, you know, personal training, somebody chatted to me on social yesterday about it. They asked me a question about, about gyms offering nutritional services. I said, look, if it's out in their remit, ultimately your personal trainer's job is to teach you how to execute and, and, and you know, perform exercise in a safe and effective manner. That's, that's your job. That's it. And, and obviously programming that, that comes alongside that. And that's your job. But but if you want to be a successful personal trainer, now your job's got to expand way beyond that. You've got to have so many more strings to your boat, and you've got to offer so much more in the way of service. You know, so you've got to look at the things that come together, right? Mm -hmm. I, th I think that's quite interesting what you've touched on there, Phil. I think a lot of people, someone once said to me, they're, they they were maybe criticising a fellow PTs uh, how much they charged, and they said. Um, I could never ask for more than I was willing to pay. And I think what is at the root of that is how confident the service you're delivering is, you know, how confident you are in what you're giving them. And then, um, you know, doing a little bit more research because we do a lot of research, Phil, you know, you can tell. Um, I heard you say that you must serve your client. PT isn't about you. You have to step into their shoes instead of bringing them into yours. And I just, I'd love to hear you expand upon the importance of that, uh, of that providing a, a service and, and, and kind of as a sidebar, um, do you think the culture of celebrity or like social media trainers, do you think that diminishes that in any way? I think there's just a lot of assumptions, right? Is that, is that a lot of PTs and a lot of coaches start in this industry because they did something with respect to fitness and nutrition that changed their life, right? You know, that's, that's how I started, that's possibly how you guys started, is that, is that you did something with your training, with your exercise, with your nutrition, you made it part of your life, and all of a sudden, wow, this is life-changing, which it is. You know, so you want to introduce people to that. And obviously, you have the way that you did it. And the way that you did it is the way that suited you and, and, and aligned with your lifestyle, aligned with your methods and modality and things like this at that particular time of life, right? My training now is very different to my training five years ago. Because my responsibilities and my my requirements of life are very very different, you know. I have a different. I always put it as like a a hierarchy, 
you know, is that you've got to look at a hierarchy. You've got to go, right, when I was 19, what was my hierarchy? How did it look? Where did my family sit in that hierarchy? My family were probably moderate table because it was, it was it, you know, it was my dad, it was my sister, it was my mom, it was my, my cousins and blah, blah, blah. I didn't have any direct family, as in I didn't have a wife and kids that I was responsible for. So therefore, my responsibilities for the rest of my family, they were responsible for themselves. So I didn't feel a huge amount of responsibility towards them. So therefore, my responsibilities laid elsewhere and I could focus them towards other things. So, and, you know, I'd moved several times. So I'd moved to London. When I moved to London, I didn't, I didn't go out of my way to find all this new friendship circles and blah, blah, blah. I've never been a massive social person outside of the circles that I, I already kind of carved out over those years. So therefore, when I moved to London, I was like, right, what do I do every evening? Do I go and see my friends around the corner? Never had any friends around the corner because I never made the effort to, 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 to you know, have friends around the corner. You know, I had my work colleagues that we, a couple of times a year, we did a work thing or whatever it might be, and they were my friends. And then I had my friends from up north. So, you know, I'm one in Manchester, one in Leeds, you know, a lord in the Lake District, and I'd see them when I saw them in the course of the year. So for me, my time commitments were very much work. That was it. So for me, I, I could decide, right, I'm going to diet in a certain way, and it didn't impact anybody apart from me. So it was really easy. You know, my training was, I'd go to the gym when I wanted, you know, apart from my work and client commitments. I go, And I was in a gym working. So it was very easy at the end of my shift to go, right, I'm going to do a two-hour gym session if I wanted to. I could even go twice a day if I wanted to. Whereas now, realistically for me, none of that's got to work. So, so it's being able to walk in that other person's shoes and realize that that person wants probably something similar to what you want, but it's not the same. And the second you think it's the same, you'll start to fail. So, so you'll have, you know, and, and, and go back, well, even now coaches do it, but go back five years. Every coach was giving people meal prep. Every coach was saying, right, go away and you need to go and make all this food and you need to, it was this bodybuilding carryover came from the bodybuilding world, right? And you're sending your clients home and then your clients weren't doing it and you, then you're like, well, they obviously don't want it enough. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with the fact that, firstly, probably they can't cook. Firstly, secondly, they probably don't want to cook. Thirdly, they probably don't want to carry around Tupperware all the time, you know, because it, it feels awkward and weird to them. Uh, they don't want to eat cold food. And and the food that you've given them is actually bland, boring, and awful. And, and whatever it is that you've given them is probably short-term anyways. And they didn't come to you for a short-term solution. They came to you for a long-term solution. So then... As a coach, you get these great results over this 12-week period, but then what? You've just lost a client because they're not going to come back to you because it was so intense and so crazy that, that it's not, you know, it, 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 there's non-compliance after that point. They don't want to be involved. So they come back to you a year later when they've gained all the weight again and do it again. Whereas, you know, we're looking at long-term long results and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a bitter pill to swallow for many because they come to you for the fastest results possible. You know, and you can you can still achieve that, but then you can come out the other end in this smooth kind of cycle and go, right, now we're going to carry on. You know, how do we maintain this? How do we sustain this? So, yeah, it's about it's about taking on board what your client's telling you. So if my client's saying, I've got kids, I've got to consider that. If they've got a full-time job or they've got the work shift, I've got to consider that. You know, and I've got to act on that. I can't just, if they travel a lot, you can't just turn around and, and I remember coaches telling me this, she'd say, well, you should just not go out to the weekend. That's the easiest solution. You know, you do, you know, client drinks too much. Tell them not to drink. 
Tell them not to go out. Tell them not to socialise with their friends. You know, that'll solve the problem. Yeah, of course it will. You know, somebody came in to say, I want to lose weight. I'll say, tell them to chop their right arm off. They'll be lighter. Mm. It works. We always say the most effective diet is to not eat anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's, but, it's, but again, that, that whole walking in someone else's shoes is about understanding your client and understanding that everybody's variables are massively different. You know, yeah. your variables. So, so for you, Jason, I'd be like, right, you know, we're going to go, we're going to go do this thing and it's super exciting, that's super blah, blah, blah. And then I realize I'm like, already. I'm like <laughs> yeah, but, but you do extreme sports, which means that all of a sudden now the stuff that would have been exciting actually just isn't. Mm-hmm. So your circumstance is different. It's, I've got to consider that. I've got to consider what you want out of life at this particular point. Now, I speak to you in six months' time, that might have changed. I speak to you in 12 months' time, that might have changed. And, and it depends on people's stage in life. You've got to understand the stage in life. You've got to understand their variables, not yours, theirs. And you've got to understand them very analytically. You know, as a coach, you should know what your client's kids' names are. You should know what their job is. You should know what their working hours are. You should know, you know, all these details. You know, where which supermarket do they shop at? You should know that. You know, if they are going to eat some junk food, where do they go? You should know that. You know, where do they buy their food from? You know, what? how are they acquiring it? How are they preparing it? What are their cooking skills like? You know, most people of our generation can't really cook much. So therefore, sending them off to cook a load of stuff probably isn't going to work very well. And it's certainly not something that's sustainable. We could send them on a cookery course. It would be more effective. You know, so you've got to be able to understand the variables, right? And that's coaching. And that's where I talk a lot about coaches rather than trainers. And, and and that's the distinction I make is that a trainer is somebody who trains you, you know, who can talk about training and even to some degree deal with behaviors and habits because that's training as well. But coaching is being to, able to understand the huge amount of variables around someone's environment and understand how does that affect them. You know, you look at a, an effective coach in a team where you're dealing with, you know, if you're dealing with a football team, you're dealing with, you know, 11 players plus everybody else in the squad. So you might be dealing with 20, 25 variables. And what works for one won't necessarily work for the other 24. And as a coach, you've got to understand that, is that we know the basic fundamentals of human movement. A squat will work for everybody. Unfortunately, 90% of people can't do a squat. So you've got to understand as a coach the regressions and the progressions to get someone to a squat. Whereas most coaches will just go, right, we're going to squat from day one. Oh, you can't squat, but let's persist anyways. You know, let's mess you up, you know, mechanically. Let's mess you up and let's just keep, I'll just keep cueing you. Push your bum out, push your bum out, lift your chest up, you know, whatever it might be. And coaches just persist instead of going, right, you can't do that right now. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to regress you. I'm going to take you back to an easier movement that will teach you the skills and then facilitate teaching you the skills that will move you towards a squat or a deadlift or whatever it might be. But there's this thing in our industry of just this whole, we want things to be so uniform. We're like, what's the best diet? Depends. What's the best training? Depends. You know, what's the best thing for me? Depends. I don't know enough. I don't have enough evidence. I need you to tell me more about you before I can help you. End of. People come to me for business advice and they go, look, this is my business. This is how much I make. This is what I do. How do I make more money? I don't know. You need to tell me more about your business. I need to know what's going in, what's coming out, blah, blah, blah. And the vast majority of the time, it's just a matter of looking at what their outgoings are and going, well, do you need that? Do you need that? Do you need that? Do you need that? Now, all of a sudden, they're making 10 grand more a year. 
and I've done anything. Do you think that this kind of trend in recent years towards these, I guess, like influencers or people like, I hate to, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to say Joe Wicks. Like, you know, your Joe Wicks or your James Smiths and stuff like that. Like I always call, uh, I call Mitch the um, the housewife's James Smith. Um, <laughs> just like a very polite version. But um, do you think that that kind of drives people nowadays to get into the fitness industry for more egotis- egotistical reasons? Like that, just that quote I heard from you really hit me was that it's not about you. And I think that that's really, really important for a trainer is that they kind of need to sacrifice their own spotlight so to speak in order to in order for their clients to thrive but do you think that that is suffering because of the kind of social media culture no it's and again this goes back on really what i was just saying is that this is truly understanding so if you actually understand you know i know james i know joe so if you were to understand what joe's about i feel really awkward now sorry (laughs) not not at all because they, Don't tell the them. These are the questions that these guys get asked, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I've seen the evolution of, of both of them in many respects, you know, since they started to where they are now. And you look at Joe. Joe's never professed to be anything but what he is. The problem is our industry has assumed he's doing that, which he isn't. You know, Joe's always just done what he does. He's not, he's not, he's not giving out nutritional advice. He's not doing it. As far as I can see, He's doing nothing that's that's harmful to what we do, and mm. it's very very different. People talk about him as a personal trainer. He's not a personal trainer. He's not a personal trainer. He's a guy that does fitness. He's a fitness guy. He's a boot camp guy. He's not. He's not a personal trainer. You know how many one on one clients has Joe got? Has got any? And he hasn't had one on one clients as as long as I've known him. You know. So so is he doing that? What about nutritional advice? Is he giving out nutritional advice? No, he's not. You know, he's putting his name to some nutritional services that will probably help his kind of demographic you know he puts his name behind things like gusto and blah 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 so what's his demographic largely female male female female demographic largely young old middle Uh, uh, yeah middle maybe middle ground yeah I, i would say you know probably probably 30 to 45 is probably his key demographic and female you know, and and again, without without, you know, I know culturally you're not really meant to say this, but largely people in that demographic of that, of that generation are probably going to be responsible for the food in that family, mm-hmm. right? So therefore, you know, and because they're of our generation, probably most of them don't have a lot of cooking skills. So there are solutions, and that's why these solutions exist. So therefore, Gusto for his demographic is a perfect solution to a problem that they've got. Mm-hmm. So. So other than that, he's not treading on anyone's feet. He's not. He, he's actually feeding our industry, like literally feeding it, because these people are now getting into fitness. And remember, what's one of the biggest excuses people give you for not having personal training? I'm not going to have personal training until I get fitter. Yeah. I want to get fit first. I want to get fit first. I don't want to embarrass myself. So who's getting them fit? Who's getting them fit? I always think uh, that's like the people that say that they need a tan before they go on holiday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but, it, but, it, but it's logical, right? This is how people think, and we've got to understand how people think. So therefore, the people that are getting fit with Joe are getting to a point where they can't go any further with Joe. So then they're going, right, I need to go to the next level here. So the people in Edinburgh doing, doing boot camp and stuff with Joe are going to go, I need a trainer. So where am I going to go now? I'm going to go to Jason. I'm going to go to Michael. Because, because, you know, they're the next step 
the next stage in my fitness journey. You know, it's like when a, a private studio and the amount of businesses I go, oh my God, we've got a pure gym opening down the road for me. I said, brilliant. They're like, well, what do you mean brilliant? I said, fantastic. I said, you don't need to do any advertising or a lot less than you were before. I said, everybody goes in there, the people that struggle to go into a gym to start with, they're the people that are at home pondering and blah, 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 because of price conflicts, they maybe can't afford a gym, but Pure Gym's cheap, brilliant. So now they can afford a gym. So we've overcome one obstacle. They can't, they're not got, if they can't afford a gym, they're not gonna pay for personal training. You understand that, right? Categorically. If they haven't got the budget for going to a gym, they're not gonna have the budget for personal training. So therefore we've overcome that first budget hurdle and Pure Gym have done that for us you know, or the gym or whoever it might be. They've done that for us. Now that person's got used to a gym environment. Slowly but surely, they get more confident and they feel more comfortable with that environment. They get themselves a little bit fitter. They lose a little bit of weight. And then they go, right, this is good, but I need the next level. I need someone to help me with this because clearly I don't fully know what I'm doing. So I'm going to seek an expert, personal training. Thank you very much. So, so there's all these things. And then, you know, James... James has, has evolved. James, you know, probably doesn't do much PT now, if any. Uh, you know, he started as a PT. He's, you know, he's evolved into this character, and this character who who dismisses um, stuff out out there that probably needs dismissed a lot of the time. You know, he, he has a very distinctive style to him and a very distinctive, and again, probably a very similar demographic to what Joe's is. You know, probably very similar demographic, right? Mm -hmm. But people like that no-nonsense approach, which is what he's got. But is he throwing stuff out there that's, that's, that's perhaps a little bit out there or a little bit incorrect or a little bit... For the most part, I'd like to say, no, he doesn't. Most of the stuff he's, you know, he's talking about makes sense. Most of the stuff he's talking about is actually kind of helpful. And, and most of it is actually helping our industry get a bit more clarity and ultimately... You know, people might go and follow him and people might, you know, do his online program. But where do you think they go after that? <laughs> they go to PTs. So when people say to me, the PT business is dead, it isn't. It's thriving. Yeah. And you've got, and you've got all these people that, that, that so much of the industry is talking negatively about are feeding the hell out of it. They're basically introducing mm -hmm. people to personal training. Whether yeah. we like it or whether we don't. So all of a sudden, these people and these personalities, and don't get me wrong, I mean, you've picked two people there that I think are doing a good job. Yeah, well, to be fair to you Jason, know? like uh, he was joking. We've done episodes on these guys before in the past, and we speak very yeah. highly of them. Like what they do in the industry is amazing. I think it's also to do with intent as well. Like as long as these people are, are really out there trying to improve the health of the of their demographic, then and they're doing it in a fairly sensible way, which I think both of them are, then you can't really knock it too much. No, I mean, it's, it's very easy to look at. And, and the, the problem I think there is as well is that there is there's this enormous amount of jealousy in our industry based mm. on social media. And social media is like this metric, isn't it? I haven't posted on social media in 24 days, you know, which is the longest I've ever not done that. Cause, That's cause terrible just, for your engagement. I know. <laughs> but I just want to stay away from it for a little bit. I've, I've got yeah. other things that are more important. I've, we've been moving house and various other bits and pieces. But... I'm like, I just don't feel that I need to do that. And has my business suffered? No. Has, has it changed it? No. There's a couple of vanity metrics probably there that are, probably haven't grown quite as much mm -hmm. as they could have done. And I'll have, I'll have people in my industry who've been chasing me, who will have gained some momentum now, so they'll be happy. And, and I'm like, but it's not about that. It's not about, and, mm -hmm. and, and you know, we had, a, we had a big discussion. I've got a new business starting early next year, and 
we had a discussion with some of our investors yesterday and we were talking about these kind of vanity metrics and the quality of an audience right and and you know my audience i'd like to think is of a very high quality there might not be as many as there are with other people and what have you but but i'm not really concerned about that number i'm more concerned about are they interested in what i'm talking about are they taking it away and doing something with it you know it's a bit like what we were talking about before michael with the recipe books if i've got a business that's got the recipe books but they're not getting anything from it my first advice to you would be cancel because you don't want to be spending money on something that you're not getting a benefit from if you're not getting a benefit from it it might just be a matter of you not doing the work that you need to do because mm -hmm. without us holding your hand all the way it, 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 it's not going to do what it needs to do and that's often the case is that you know we can teach people i can teach people as much as i want it's that horse to water scenario i can only teach you whether you go away and do it and you see it at seminars and you kind of pick up on these people where you look around the seminar and you're like yep you're just going to listen and listen and listen and then go and do what you do anyways you're not going to change a single thing and I, you know, business seminars, I'm out of business seminars where I've seen people come to three or four of my business seminars and their business is exactly the same as it was when they started, mm -hmm. you know, because they go away and they're like, yeah, kind of made sense, but I kind of like the way I do it anyways. So I'm going to kind I of think that's actually what I always quite liked about your content as well, Phil, because I saw a tweet you put out a while ago um, that kind of, uh, I thought about when I was thinking about this episode that we're doing today. And you mentioned that I think you kind of put in about six years of building your social media following before ever trying to monetize it. Um, yeah. And I, I just kind of, I don't think there's really a question in this, more of just like a comment to see what your thoughts are. But like it's something I like I never put any money into advertising to gain personal training clients because I spent years putting out content and then clients end up coming to me and yeah, me yeah. putting time into that content is basically the equivalent of me paying. Um, so I just kind of wondered what your thoughts were on, especially for personal trainers, like looking to get into the industry now where they think that they can just kind of start up a social media page, start advertising the services and stuff comes to them. So I don't know what like your thoughts are in regards to kind of new coaches along that front. It's a uh organic uh, we always talk about kind of organic versus paid or organic versus non-organic mm -hmm. however way you want to look at it but ultimately you if you can't engage with an organic audience you can pay as much money as you want your the algorithms and the way that social media works they're not gonna they're gonna find people that you can categorize by age or you know demographic or area or whatever it might be but ultimately these people know nothing about you it's a bit like what I go back on, and, and you'll hear me, you know, you guys have clearly done a bit of research on me, and, and, and I think both of you have followed me for a while, is that one of the things I always talk to coaches about is you've got to talk to clients. You've got to talk to potential clients as well. You've got to talk to people. You've got to be good with people. If you're not good with people, you're going to struggle as a personal trainer because you, you, you can't engage in dialogue. If you can't engage in dialogue, you can't learn anything about them. You can't learn anything about them. You can't service their needs. You can't service their needs. You've now got a service business that can't do its job. So, so you've got to be able to communicate, and communication is all. You know, uh, they did a thing at one of the one of the massive sports uh, sort of performance conferences not so long ago in America, and they 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 asked all the coaches, and they, these are elite coaches. These are guys that are dealing with NBA, NFL athletes, and blah blah blah. And they said, "What's the one skill that you'd all want to learn more about? Is it sports science? Is it this, that, the other, blah blah blah?" And they all came back and said, "Communication. It's the greatest skill they've got. Communication." You know, and, and I've always picked up clients and the reason that I've always picked up clients is that my first role when I got into a gym was I wanted to get to know as many people as I possibly could. That simple. You know, I can walk in a gym I worked at, you know, 10 years ago, you know, and I, I did not so long ago. And, it t and I thought, I'm just going to walk around the gym here. It took me about two and a half hours because everybody kept stopping me and chatting to me and seeing how things were and blah, blah, blah. I haven't worked there for six years. 
you know. And it, 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 all these people recognized me and still wanted to have a conversation with me. These were people that weren't my clients. These were people that were just in the gym and probably at some point pondered on having me as their coach and and either did or couldn't get in with me or maybe were on a waiting list or whatever it might be and they, and they actually couldn't. And that was just all down to just basic stuff was I'd introduce myself. My name is Phil. I'm one of the coaches here. You know, I'd find something interesting about them and I'd talk to them about it. And then I'd ask them about their goals. I'd ask them how they get on with them. And I'd maybe have some input. I'd maybe be like, you know, you should try this. You should do this, that, the other. You know, there was a guy uh, selling a, I have an old uh, teleprompter that I used to use, which was uh, like an iPad teleprompter. And I put it up for sale on one of the local marketplaces. And the guy came around for it. He he was like, he goes, oh, it's not really what I was after because I'm doing mine for four meters away and I'm not going to be able to see it. I said, have you thought about this? And I said, all you need to do is get a different lens for your camera and use a wide-angle lens and you can put it a meter away from you. It'll appear like you're four meters away from it. I said, you could do that or you could you could do this. And I gave him all these different options. And, and you know, he, he messaged me the day later. He goes, oh, I'll take it. And came back and got it. You know, well, I think that I gave... goes back around to what you said earlier about people can't sell. Like, I've always, uh, I've always thought that selling kind of gets a bad name. I think when I... I I used to, to work in, in a job in London and someone said to me that if you can learn to sell, then you can you can do any job because essentially what selling is, is communicating authentically with somebody. And I think that's it. Like I heard you say on an, another podcast that people think if you tell them to go out on the floor and speak to clients, that that is going up to someone and going, hi, would you like some personal training? When yeah. actually what it is, is getting to know that person, having a kind of exchange getting honestly invested in them and then giving them honest advice on what they need to do. And if you can give them something, if you can sell them something that's going to help them achieve their goals, then that's sales. But ultimately, yeah, you have to kind of be um, not afraid to walk away from that, knowing that that person is not the right customer for you. And then I think it just comes down to communication, doesn't it? And, and it's how you do it. It's your style. It's your, you know, if your thing is rolling into a gym in the morning and going, woo, and high-fiving everybody, do it. If that's yeah. your thing, because I tell you what, some people will love that. Some people will hate it. That's life. You know? They hate it, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but some people, but, but I bet you if there's a coach that went in and did that, there'll be certain people who'll be like, I want to go train with that guy. Because mm-hmm. he's clearly, he's like buzzing. He's like, you know. <laughs> yeah. You get it? So, it, you know, it's characters. And again, it's the same thing. I look at you two, you know, you're presented very differently on a screen. You know, if I was to see you two in a gym, I'd be like, I, I humans do that. We form opinions, right? I'm going to form a view and an opinion based off everything that you you were presented in front of me right now. You know, you've got your vest on, you've got your, 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 your mohawk going on, you've got your hat on, you've got your branding, you've got your your headphones on, you've got your little AirPods. So from all those things, I'm forming a view of you. And from that view, I'm trying to then think how would be the best way of communicating with you, Jason, and how would be the best way of communicating with you, Michael, and how would be the best way for me to uh, tap into what you need and what you want. Michael, I would I would give you more information. I think you need you're probably very analytical. I, I would, mm-hmm. I would, I would want to give you more information about whatever it is that you're signing up for, or you know, you probably look at the details and you read them and blah blah blah. Jason, you're probably more about that. Boom. You know, you want to know what you know. I'll say to you, yeah, this is awesome, and this is, you know, this does this and blah blah blah, and this person's doing it, and you should be doing it as well. And you know, just and- show me a video of the rock, and I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. 
but this is this is how do people get influenced mm-hmm. and we've got to understand the generational differences as well there is that is that there is this multi-generational thing within coaching and this is why when people talk about your niche right is that if you're in a gym with an older clientele you need to be able to relate to that older clientele even if you're only 20 years old so how do you do that and that's difficult because instantly they're looking at you and going just a young kid how do you get around that you know i you know there's a, a friend of mine who's you know been a client he's been on seminars and blah 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 and over the years i've got to know him quite well and and he looks like a 16 year old and he still looks like a 16 year old and he's like mid-20s now but the fact is he's got around that he's circumnavigated that and one of the first conversations i had with him i said take advantage of that i said take advantage of the fact that that's the way you look and i stopped a guy uh, uh, one of the the big uh sort of industry events and he came up there was a bunch of them came up to the stand together they were all from the same gym i said you know and i actually picked on him he was wearing a little stringer vest at a convention right you know so straight away i've i've, I've honed in on him. i said i said what's your name and he introduced himself and and i said i said you know is this kind of what you wear around the gym and blah blah, blah. i said I said this is great i said but you need to leverage it you need to leverage the character that you are and the person that you are there's it's not wrong and if I was to constrain that, and, and you know, I did some consultancy with a gym in London, and for those same reasons, they have two sites. They have one in one which was in Canary Wharf, which is a, a huge financial district. Everybody's very straight laced, you know, blah blah blah. But everybody's about performance. You know, that's what that kind of area is about: performance. People like competition. So if you create something that's quite competitive, people sign up to it. This is why a lot of the, the, the fitness modalities in those areas, there'll be a lot of people doing Peloton and things like this because they can compete, right? And then the other one was in, in Soho, which is a very arty, very creative, very, you know, this kind of hub. So, you know, I said, so when you employ your trainers, you've got to think about what kind of character they are and where which site will suit them best. If you've got some use, you know, Jason, I would put you in Soho. Michael? You being Canary Wharf. Can you imagine you me in Canary to... Wharf, though? Yeah, but do you understand why I would do that? Mm-hmm. Of course, because yeah, your, definitely. Your, your, your physical appeal, immediate appeal, would be to different demographics. Not to say that that's wrong. You know, Jason, I could put you in Canary Wharf. You might absolutely thrive. It would just take them a little while to get to know you. But we've got to go at, you know, and, and often coaches don't have that choice. They go, they have one gym and they've got to go in that gym and they've got to influence and they've got to have an impact, whether they're quiet, whether they're vocal, whether they're this, that, the other. So when people say, what's the equation? I said, equation is really to get people to know you. It's build relationships. Mm-hmm. You talk about anything in branding, you know, branding is about building relationships. Business is about building relationships. You know, build relationships with your customers or Create a service that nobody else can touch. You know, you look at Amazon. Amazon thrives because they've got a service no one can touch. No one can get near to them. With the service, with the speed at which you can check out, nobody can touch them. You know, so 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 do they are they concerned about relationships that much? Maybe not on the surface, they're not, but I tell you what, if you contact the customer service, they're on the ball. They will resolve problems fairly quickly whereas other businesses won't smaller businesses that struggle they won't resolve customer problems like so you've just lost that customer for life and this starts to get into business analytics and understanding business is that it's going to cost you on, on average four to five times more to get a new customer than to keep an old one 
So therefore, what do you want to do? You want to service your customers. So we've got we've got another product coming out, you know, uh, for you guys that that is all about your client needs is that I understand that both of you will have clients that can't cook. They might not want to admit it, but they can't cook. So they need some basic cooking skills. So the next thing that we've got coming out is a is a book. Obviously, we personalize it and blah, 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 but it's coming out and it's all about cooking skills. It teaches your clients how to cook. And, and these are things that people are almost embarrassed about. People don't want to ask how to boil an egg because they think, oh, everybody should know. You know, can you guys tell me how long an egg goes in for if you want to soft boil it? Three minutes. Yeah. Do you know that for sure? Or are you just guessing? Well, so it's funny, Phil, because I was actually thinking this the other day. So, like, my granddad was my granddad was in the navy, and so I he when he came out of the navy, he it was really important to him that he learned how to cook and be self sufficient. And it wasn't just because my granny's cooking was terrible, but so he kind of instilled in me this idea that like learning these essential skills are you, you know you're kind of vulnerable without them essentially you know like if it's yeah, something yeah, as yeah. simple as learning to cook but i think you're quite right i was having this conversation the other day where i said that learning to cook now is almost like a, a hobby or like a, a specialist yeah. skill it's not something that you all learn and um, parents don't do it with kids anymore right mm -hmm. yeah exactly parents, yeah. Don't, parents don't have the time to do cooking with their kids like they used to, right? Because they always used to be one stay-home parent. And you used to teach your kids to cook because ingredients you used to buy were all raw ingredients, right? You didn't buy them all ready-made. Yeah, I think it's, uh, some personal trainers are quite romantic with the idea of getting their, trans to, their clients to cook as well, aren't they? I had this conversation with a personal trainer say not long ago, but it was before COVID, so quite a few months ago. Um, and he was kind of, he was questioning why I encourage one of my clients to buy meal prep for his lunches throughout the week. But when you start looking at that client's lifestyle, he doesn't have the time to cook, he doesn't want to cook, he doesn't enjoy it, and he has the funds to go and do meal prep, that's absolutely fine to recommend it to him. So I think that service is amazing, and there's definitely loads of clients that will want that book to teach them to cook. But then I think it's also important for coaches to realize that not everyone's going to want to do that as well. And it's a solution to a problem, right? Mm, yeah. You look at, you look at again, we talked about Joe before, Jason, is that what's he presented? A solution to a problem that a large percentage of his demographic have, which is they haven't got time and they haven't got the ability to cook. So therefore, what's what's a good way of creating home-cooked meals? And the closest variation of that is a service like Gusto, where you get all the raw ingredients, you still put them all in a pan, you still do part of the cooking process, which makes you feel good, right? Mm -hmm. You guys know what it's like, right? You know, Jason, clearly, you know, you were just telling telling me a moment ago about, you know, you learned these essential skills, right? Mm -hmm. Do you take great enjoyment about uh, for cooking for other people? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, so you get that at the end of it. There's not much enjoyment in just stabbing the top of a perforate box and putting yeah. it in the microwave, right? No. But what Gusto does is that, and I feel like this is an advert for Gusto, yeah? <laughs> yeah. is that we're all talking about that. <laughs> yeah. but we but again for many people that solves multiple problems and it also gives you a little bit of gratification at the end of it because you're actually still cooking you're just taking the inconvenience of going and finding all those ingredients yourself because they're putting them all in a packet for you and going they're all here all you got to do is throw them in at different times and also, I suppose to try and repair my relationship with Joe Wicks here, um, <laughs> like what you were saying about communication and delivering a message, like um, 
it's not necessarily the message it is is the person delivering it and the way that it's delivered and so joe could be connecting with people who if it was some you know burly bodybuilder or you know whatever um they're not going to listen they're not interested that's yeah, not for yeah. me you know um and so sometimes you know it is as much about being who he is um in terms of getting through to people um so yeah hopefully you'll come on the show soon <laughs> uh, but it, but it's, it's very personable, right? Is that mm-hmm. is that you know is that Michael? And, and again, I could be wrong here, but just based off the, the, the small interactions I've had with you, I think you're a very quiet person. I think I would struggle to get you to to vocalise and say the things. And you know, we're on a podcast here, and, and and you know, you only really spoke when there's an opportune moment to to, mm-hmm. to have that bit of input. You're a listener more than a, a speaker, probably. Yeah, absolutely. Which, yeah, which, which doesn't board terribly well for personal training, but you've got to find a way of getting out of that. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's true. But it's you- actually something when I first got into personal training that people did criticise. They said, like, how are you going to be able to kind of go out there and get on the shop floor, the gym floor, yeah. um, and and gain clients? But one to one situations, I'm. I consider myself very good with my communication yeah, skills yeah. and I, I can pick up clients quite easily on that front. So yeah, it's just about using your strength, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I think yeah, that's why me yeah. and Jason also do quite well on a podcast together. Because To uh, be fair, Phil, I make everyone <laughs> look quiet. Huge, that is true. Huge, yeah. Hugely complimentary, right? Is that, is that in many respects, you know, as, as two people doing something like this together, all of a sudden now there's, there, there is a, there's a synergy there. In that you know, one of you sits sit back and sort of listens and takes it all in, and then then intervenes when need to be. Then then Jason, what you're doing is you're 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 throwing the topics out there, and and you know you've done a bit of research and blah blah blah, and then then you're instigating these conversations, and that's that's just a dynamic, and you're working with those dynamics correctly for your personalities, and that's that's such an important thing. And this is the thing is that Jason, you'd never be a Joe Wicks. I would never be a Joe Wicks. No. Michael, I'm getting that on a t-shirt. Michael, if Michael was more vocal, Michael could be a Joe Wicks because you know he, he he has the face, he has the you know <laughs> he, he, he has that friendly look about him, right? He has that big old smile, and yeah. and, and 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 that works, right? Is that and and you know I go back to my like my powerlifting days when I was you know I was all shoulders and all blah blah blah, but I mean I was intimidating to people. Mm-hmm. Is that is that that then altered my people's initial perception of me? You know, and because then when people find out other details about me, all of us, I become less personable. You know, for me now, going, if I went back to personal training now, it would be way easier now for me to relate to people because, you know, I've got kids, I've got a family. I understand more about that dynamic than I did before. Whereas before it was like, you know, you don't understand. I'm like, well, yeah, I do. I actually do. And the thing is, you know, and I prided myself back when I was a, a coach is that, and, and I was doing one-on-one stuff in learning about the things I didn't understand. So I learned a lot about psychology, behavioral psychology. I learned an awful lot about females, you know, and how to handle and, and, and manage females as a, you know, a, and what were the gender differences with respect to physical output and blah, 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 and all these things. And it was very important for me to understand that. But then I also learned a lot about human behaviors. And, and how did they influence what we did as coaches and what our output had to change towards? And that was a real critical part of being a good coach is that you need to understand the needs and the requirements. And it was it was servicing those needs and requirements. And you, you probably heard me talk before about, you know, I had clients that used to travel a lot. So I used to look at their travel arrangements and I used to find out the hotels and I used to, I used to phone hotels and get them to send me pictures of the gym so I knew what equipment they had so I could create a plan based around the equipment that was in the gym, you know. 
the coach was like, that's a bit overkill. I said, no, it's not. I said, my client wants to carry on training when they're there. And I don't want them walking into a gym and going, oh, I, I don't know what to do here. You know, so I'd write diagrams. I put numbers on the machines so they understood where they were and blah, blah, blah. So that was part of a service. You know, I dealt with some uh, guys for a, a film, not not actually that long ago. It was actually after I'd retired. And, and you know, I, I, I had a bit of a relationship with the, the, the film studio and the guys that, that, that were directing and producing it. And I said, look, I'll look after them for a little bit of, of what you want me to do. And then they'll have to go with somebody else because I just don't have the scope or the bandwidth for it. So part of that was organizing the nutrition. And they were staying at a big posh hotel in London. And I phoned the, the chef up who was like a Michelin star chef. And I managed to get through to him eventually. And I spoke to him and I said, look, these are the macros that we've got to hit. I said, I don't care how you do it. Just, just hit those macros. And he said, he goes, I don't work like that. He goes, I don't understand how many carbs are in this meal and this meal. I create, and quite rightly so, he's trained to create tasty, palatable, lovely food. That's what he's trained in. He's not trained in macros and nutrition. So therefore, he said, he said, look, can you just send me exactly what to prepare and I'll prepare it? And I bet you he would have made it look really good. But I said, look, it's actually easier if I just go to the supermarket now, get all the bits, cook it for them and send it to them. So I actually got, got home, cooked it all for them, you know, put it into containers, let it cool. And then I got a car to come and pick it up and came out to Kent, picked it up, and drove it back to their hotel in central London in cool bags. So I had to buy the cool bags and blah, blah, blah. So I did all that. And that was that service. And obviously, I build the I build the production company for it. You know, every single thing I bought, I build them for it. I build them for my time and blah, blah, blah. And they, they don't bat an eyelid because they're like, oh, that was the level of service that was required. So you gave it done. You know, and I think, you know, I'd have probably build them for, I think it would be about 1,500, 1,600 pounds for an evening's work. But it was servicing a need that those clients had at that particular time. Phil, do you think that comes from your time in the hotel industry? Because uh, as much as I obviously prefaced uh, my story with, with kind of negative undertones, um, one thing I did learn that I think is probably quite positive, is I was told um, that nine out of ten first impressions don't change and the one that does change changes from good to bad. So they were saying make sure that you always go that extra mile. Um, and the hotel I worked in without naming any names because we've already given enough free promo to lots of other companies. <laughs> um, they were the kind of people that, honestly, you hear this story, it's like rock and roll. I think it was um, Van Halen that came up with the story. They were the kind of people that would say, if you wanted brown M&Ms, they would go and get the M&Ms and pick them. Yeah, yeah. That was the kind of level of service. But th these were people that weren't getting paid. You know, it was the people behind the desk. It was the concierge. It was us yeah. in the gym. We weren't getting paid commission for these things, but it was just drilled into you this idea of like nothing is is too far. Like this is you know we're trying to give these people if they ask for it, we give it to them. Do you think that's where that was kind of ingrained in you, or is that something you felt afterwards? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew I grew up in a hotel. I grew up in a you know my parents had a, a hotel in the Lake District. You know, it, it was more of a pub because you know the vast majority of the, the year there was nobody in it because nobody wanted to be out in the in the in, in a village in the middle of the lake district in winter but it was uh having said that no winter was re but but certain times of year it was just grim so so it was actually a hotel so I, I grew up in the service industry and i inadvertently absorbed all of that and i absorbed the fact that my dad talked to complete strangers every single day of his life you know people would come in the pub that we'd never met before and my dad would just start conversations with them and I was privy to that when I was a kid and when I was like a little sponge and I was absorbing all that. And, yeah, I think that was part of it. And then my first job as a 
personal trainer or a fitness instructor at the time it was was in a hotel it was in a hotel chain so again i was privy to that level of service and it was a you know it was a four-star hotel uh you know in the lakes and then i helped with with the rollout of personal training across the group and I actually went and set up one of the other gyms so again i got a lot of experience as to how to manage the setup of a gym and how uh you construct it we got all the kit design blah 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 and it, it, you know that I, I delved into those different areas so i've had I've been really privileged in that I've had a lot of experience in the management of gyms and all these different things. So when it comes to business and things like this, I understand a little bit more than what a personal trainer should probably understand, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it was years later where I was working for a business that that they'd actually headhunted me to work for in London uh, from something else I'd done before that. And they got me in and I actually didn't train anybody for about, it was about 18 months because I was situated in a, in a in an office where they were building gyms. They were building these exclusive, high service, like huge, and they based their service model on the Four Seasons, which in the hotel world, the Four Seasons is the Rolls Royce. Or as a as a group, was the Rolls Royce of service. You know, obviously you've got people like the Savoy and blah blah blah. And I'm sure they're owned by a group, but but ultimately, there's a, with the exception of a few standalones, Four Seasons was consistent service and i remember that they got a chap in i've actually got his his book uh here oh, wow. you're not prepared Keith, you're not prepared it's a great leadership which is like the oldest book in the world but november uh 2006 signed wow nice by a chap called peter burwash who came in and i was like who is this guy you know he's got nothing to do with the personal training industry who is he whatever he, he was consultant for four seasons and they brought him in and they they got all the staff you know, who were going to be working in these gyms that never actually transpired, they ran out of money. But uh, they were going to be working in these gyms and they just taught them all about service. That's all it was, it was just service. And this guy came in who consulted with the Four Seasons on service, came in and did this whole thing and then the penny dropped. I was like, hold on. And it was one of those scenarios where, you know, you don't like to, in the you know, you never vocalise it, but in the back of my head, I'm like, I already know all this. And I was like, and then how do I know all this? I know this because I've been privy to it for my entire life, you know? And he was like, look, we do this and we do this and we do this. And he was talking about concierge level service and blah, blah, blah. I said, I know all this, you know, I've done all this. And this is, this is part of what I've always done as a PT is that I've tried to develop this concierge level service. And then the penny dropped. I was like, look, really a large part of my pre-education before being a personal trainer, one of the reasons why I spent my entire career with a waiting list of clients is because my service was great. You know, and maybe wasn't the best coach at the, you know, when I first started, uh, you know, or anywhere near the caliber of what I was when I finished. And even when I finished, I had so much more to learn. But I never let my clients down with respect to service. You know, I was always on time. I, you know, and if I wasn't, there was a pretty damn valid reason for it. And and I'd always often just give them the session for free if that was the case because I felt that was the level of service that was required. You know, they understood about cancellation policies and blah 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 because that was how it worked. And if they don't pay the cancellation policy, it affects my life, my quality of life, and they didn't want that to happen because I had a good relationship with them and etc. Uh, etc. Et so it was all about that building relationships. And business largely nowadays is about building relationships. The social media facilitates that. It facilitates you building relationships with people, strangers, people you might never cross paths with. People might never, you know, come and acquire your services. But if you're a personal trainer and you're spending a lot of your day on social media and your excuses on building a business, but you're never actually going to develop your business beyond personal training, it's kind of a futile and a pointless exercise. 
You know, what you've got is you've got a popularity contest you're competing in on one level, and then you've got your business. But when your social media becomes your business, that's a whole different ballpark, you know? And you've got to understand the differential between that. Is your social media about your business, about you needing your ego struck? And is it about insecurities? Is it about all these different things? Because again, you can tell a lot about, you know, somebody's social media activity as to what are they chasing, you know? And for me, you know, I'm riddled with insecurities, I still am. You know, and, and for me, popularity and blah, 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 all these things, you know, much like anybody else, is that they, they do play a part in my world. But as I get older, they play less of a significant role. I don't really care who's my friend, you know. I, I, you know, ultimately, there's going to be people that like me and people that don't. I, if people don't, that's okay. I have no problems about that. And again, this is the likes of, you know, James. James is very ruthless. He's like, look, if people don't like me, they don't like me. That's, that's it's better it. that people I'm, don't like you for who you are rather than uh, like you for something you're pretending to be, right? Correct, correct. And this is the thing we've got to, and we've got to really play up on who we are. And I think this is, you know, it sounds so cheesy, doesn't it? But, but you know, be the person you are, you know, and resonate that. Don't try and be this different person and what have you. And, and you'll evolve, and you do evolve over time. And you know, I've matured and I've changed my views and I've changed the way I act and blah 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 over the years but it's been very subtle and very steady i think mm -hmm. and and you know i probably appealed to people i didn't appeal to 10 years ago whereas you know for different reasons and there'll be people who i no longer appeal to because my views and my opinions are, aren't quite what they what, what they started with so you know it's about that and they, so what you're saying phil is maybe one day i could be a dual works <laughs> <laughs> no you could be oh. a jason oh. hey, you know, yes there you go you, you could be a jason right yeah. But 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 again, your delivery will be completely different. It's got to be different. It will be a different presentation. It will be a different presentation box. It will be different, mm -hmm. you know. And what you got to remember is that is that you know, Joe and James are great examples of two different, very different presentation boxes. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, both striving for kind of the same thing, mm. you know. You know, we're striving for exactly the same thing, you know. I'd, and and again, it, it's so stereotypical as a response, I guess. But I got in this industry to help people. I got in this industry because something changed my life and I wanted to introduce people to that same thing. And I wanted to introduce people to how that can, you know, uh, impact their, their world and, and change them. And, you know, you can impact the way you look at yourself, your mentality, your mindset, everything, you know. And, and when I embraced fitness and I, when I embraced uh, those kind of things, all of a sudden I was like, I can achieve anything. I can accomplish things that I never thought I could. And and it's that mindset shift that, that occurs. And I think that's just so critically important. But also it's, you know, uh, as personal trainers, I think personal trainers have really got to get out of this bubble of, you know, social media and popularity and blah, 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 and really just go back to the roots of their business and go, right, what's my business about? What am I trying to do with it? You know, is social adv advantageous to that? If it is, let's build that as well. You know, but some of the best personal trainers I, I, I know don't have social media channels, mm -hmm. you know, and you probably don't know who they are for that reason, but they're phenomenal coaches and they make lots of money, you know, mm -hmm. and they help lots of people, you know, so it's, it's, it, it, it's where does all that sit and it, it's tricky to navigate nowadays and it, it, it's a challenge, but I think it's, it's something where if there's the right people there to guide you. And again, this is what we try to do, and this is what the, the, the coaching academy is, is what we do. And what I try and advise my best to is just to guide coaches down the right route for them rather than going, right, there's this blueprint to success. There isn't. 
you know there's 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 a bunch of stuff that you can do and it might be different for you it might be different for the next person and, and sometimes i struggle with that because people want this blanket answer they want this answer and, and sometimes i get bored of saying well it depends but it does mm-hmm. the vast majority of the time it depends we're dealing with human beings here and human beings are the most unpredictable and most variable thing we could ever deal with you know which is which makes it thoroughly exciting it makes it you know it, it makes it interesting Mm-hmm. You know, dealing with people is interesting, but you can also make it very boring as well. People are like, oh, personal shit is simple shit. Right? <laughs> Shouldn't be. Every single co- person you're coaching should be completely different. You know, in many respects, some of it might be similar and there might be a bit of overlap, but for the most part, it should be really different. But you've got coaches training everybody with the same routine and same nutrition plan and same. No wonder they're bored, you know, and that your clients probably aren't bored. It's probably just you that's bored. Absolutely. Yeah. It's no, it's fascinating chat, Phil, and and we do really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been amazing. I feel like we shouldn't finish this chat without kind of touching on COVID and the way that kind of the fitness industry is right now. I know there's going to be a lot of coaches. Uh, we have quite a few PTs that listen to this show that might be a little bit nervous coming out. Hopefully, the back end of COVID and the way that the the fitness industry has, I won't say been crippled, but it's definitely had its issues over the last few months. Do you have any kind of tips or or just kind of any advice for coaches right now for moving forward from this point? I think uh, the, the coaching world has learned to adapt a little bit. I think uh, uh, quite a few people have been pushed down rabbit holes that they probably belonged into to start with. Mm-hmm. And they've actually, their businesses are thriving now because of it, because they've gone, oh, you know, I've always thought about doing that, but I haven't. And now I've been forced to do it. I've done it and I'm great at it. And I think that's happened with a lot of businesses, whereas a lot of businesses have kind of sat back and gone, well, I just want to go back to what I was doing. And unfortunately, at the time, it, it, it wasn't available and it isn't available and and they might not go back to exactly where they were. But what you got to remember out of this is that you've got a you've got a nation of people who are now concerned about wellness more than they were before. They're concerned about health. They're concerned about fitness more than ever before. And to be honest, what's happened is similar to what we were talking about before is that, you know, I go out. Uh, we were moving house the other week, and I, I did two trips back to our old house. Uh, we had a bit of an overlap with, with things. So I did two trips back to my old house, and I counted the number of runners and cyclists in those two trips and it's literally like a 10 minute drive and i counted 74 cyclists and 68 runners wow you know and these are just on the roads that we're on and mm-hmm. and, and it, what you've got to remember is that a lot of people now have taken exercise because they've got a bit more time and they've started exercising where they didn't before and this is this is baby it's glass half full scenario is that i'm looking at all the advantages of what's happened here and going, look, what are the advantages? What are the advantages of pure gym opening around the corner? This is what I'm, I was saying to you before, right? What are the advantages to it? The advantages are we've got people who now have more free time on their hands and have now started to focus on health and fitness a lot more than they did before, which means when they, when we come out of this, they'll be thinking about joining gyms. They'll be thinking about getting coaching. They'll be thinking about fitness. Some of them will stay at home and continue to do their thing, which means that now maybe you've got another string to your boat. What about remote coaching? What about programming? You know, people have taken up cycling. What about programming for cycling? How about developing that as a string to your Because, you know, programming for cycling, isn't, it's not the most complicated thing in the world, you know, to, to do. And, you know, to become a specialist in, there is no qualification per se. There's an understanding of what it is. You know, it's power output, it's cadence, it's all those different things. If you understand all those, you can start putting programs together for those people. So I think that out of it, like anything, like any disaster, like any uh, struggle, there's always opportunity at the other end of it. And I think I think when you look at it like that, and this is how I always look at these things. Again, that's a mindset thing, is that I can't look at something, and I do occasionally, but I, I try my best not to look at things negatively. 
I'm always like, look, there's a positive here. We're just going to find it. You know, and I think coaches, you've just got to get your head around it and go, right, there's positives got to come out of this. We're just going to find them. And right now, people are struggling financially. People are struggling motivation-wise. People are struggling mentally and all those things. And, and I totally empathize with all of that stuff. But but you've just got to battle through like life. You know, there's there's times in life where things are a struggle and you just got to chip away and you got to, you know, look at your support mechanisms and get on the Zooms and talk to your friends and talk to the people that you trust and, you know, air those things to people. And I think if you do that and get some ideas and hopefully some people will listen to this and go, oh, yeah, never really looked at it like that. Might just flip their mindset a little bit and go, yeah, I'm going to look at the positives that I can get out of this and start to think about what is the plan, you know, when it goes back to where it is. Do people want running programs? Yeah, they probably do. Do people want cycle programs? Yeah, they probably do. What else have people been doing at home? Do they want home workouts? Yeah, I probably need to do some of them as well. You know, and there's all these opportunities that didn't exist before that will come out of this. And and the, the, the industry will evolve. And to be fair, there's going to be a lot of bad personal trainers have disappeared, which is also nice. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> the clear out, the clear out. It's like when there's a forest fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Deadwood. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, the deadwood. I, I get that. The, the, the little bunnies and things like that. I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> yeah. But I, get, but I get what you mean. I should have thought that through, Phil. Sorry, <laughs> you know sorry you know if I've offended any body lovers. Yeah, you know I was going to go back to the rabbits and the poor little voles and <laughs> the, the owls. And the... <laughs> See, you misjudged me. You didn't think I'd be into uh, fluffy animals, but there we go. <laughs> What's not to love, right? Yeah, you've got a, you've got a, I believe you've got a unicorn and what looks like it's a, like a tiger. I think it's actually a purple dinosaur. But yeah, oh, it's a purple dinosaur. There you go. Yeah, I'm a lover of all living things. <laughs> and the uh, just not rubbish. Want, just not rubble. I was going to say, do you, want, do you want me to drop the drop the penny with the uh, with the dinosaur thing? Like, I don't. I don't so, like ruin your day or anything, but. Mas- something about my threatening masculinity or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. You said I'm a, I'm a lover of all living things. Then you mentioned dinosaurs. I was like, I, d- I don't That's really true. want to tell you. I don't, really, I, don't, I don't want to tell you here, but. And imaginary. That's the world of living, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I'm sticking to it. Imaginary is good. I have the whole. I have the whole on my wall. Exactly. <laughs> this is why I'll never work at Canary Wharf. <laughs> you never know. You might make an impact. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. Oh, I don't know that. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, but no, thank you so much for your time, Phil. We do really you're appreciate very, you coming. You're very show. welcome. Thank you, thank Phil. You. That's brilliant. Because um, uh, you, right, you mentioned man. that you're kind of bringing out uh, kind of new products and stuff in the new year. So can you just kind of tell people where to find you and where these new products will be appearing so they can check them out? Uh, I can't tell you about the new stuff because we don't launch yet. So so okay. that's all very shr- that's shrouded. Nice. Uh, but, but, but that'll be that'll all be going live in about February, so you'll be able to find out more about that. And I'm sure most of my audience will know about it by the time it it kicks off. So that that's an interesting one. Uh, again, human performance uh, arena. It's it, it's going to be really interesting. I'm really excited about that. But uh, Advanced Coaching Academy. Uh, you'll find me on Instagram at the PT Coach. Although I haven't posted in 24 days, so so I apologise for that. Uh, but there's loads of good past content on there that you can you can have a look at. But uh, you'll find me on social channels under Phil Learning. Uh, nearly all of them are, are just searchable. It's a very rare name, so very easy to find. But yeah, yeah, Advanced Coaching Academy is for the coaches out there. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with assets. We produce material for coaches, and obviously the educational offering is all about guys improving their businesses and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. 
Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, on a personal level as well, Phil, thank you so much for the content you've put out over the years because you've been a, a big inspiration for me throughout my career so far in the personal training world. So, uh, so thank you very much for that. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Cheers. You're welcome. Guys, thank you very much. And Cheers, Phil. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to episode 75 of Just the Fitness Tip with Michael Ujoa and Jason Ald, Edinburgh's number one fitness podcast. And we'll see you again next week.